Let us pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread, which gives life to the world. Evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. And not many days later, the younger man gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
But when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hard servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. and He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and killed the fat, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother, he was dead and is alive and he was lost and he was found. The gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Get my papers in order here so I can start. So, I have a question for you. Are you ready for some good news this morning? Yes? Good. The last couple weeks of the gospel readings were a little rough at times. I have some really great news for you this morning. We have a father who loves us a lot. One of the classic stereotypes of being a father, like myself, is a penchant for storytelling. We see it all over the place. The older you get, the more stories you tell. Why is that? Well, I think it's because as you get older and have interacted with the complexities of life, the more you feel like the best way to really relate things is with stories. So I used to do this a lot when I was a supervisor at Trader Joe's. I'd talk with some of my younger colleagues about a difficult day they had had. Oh, the truck was late this morning? I remember one time. And then, you know, the eyes roll into the back of the head. And at that point, I don't even remember anything else. I just went off on the story. Well, those of us who like stories and who are storytellers are in good company. Because when God came to earth, one of the most common tools he used to teach was story. 
Jesus was an incredible artist. The palette, Jesus' parables, is striking. He told simple stories. He told succinct turns of phrases that cast light on complex, the nature of the kingdom. And sometimes he told elusive tales. Tales that called for more clear explanation. No one knew what he was talking about while he was saying them, so he gently gave explanations as he needed to. But finally, Jesus told poignant, moving tales wherein we see ourselves and the characters that Jesus creates out of thin air. These tales are not elusive, but endlessly fascinating in their nuances. The prodigal son is this last type. It is one of the most beloved stories that Jesus ever told. And it has made its way into our culture, into our vernacular. If you've ever seen the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life, with James Stewart, when George Bailey's brother Harry comes home from college, they meet him at the train station, but the mom's not there. So Harry asks him where their mother is, and she's at home, George replies, killing the fattened calf. We know this story very well. But the power of this tale is not simply in its familiarity. It's also in its simplicity. 1 John 3.1 says, Behold what matter of love the Father has given unto us, that we are called children of God. That's the message of this tale. Wherever you see yourself in this moving story, that's the message. But like a diamond... Simple is not without complexity and beauty. A diamond is essentially beautiful, but in so many different facets. And so too is this parable. We don't use the word prodigal much. Webster defines prodigal as characterized by profuse or wasteful expenditure. In fact, I would say this might be the only time I ever use the word prodigal when it comes back to this story. The title we traditionally give to the parable is kind of a little misleading, actually, because while it is about a prodigal son, in, in some ways, one commentator said the parable is really called better, better, better called the parable of the forgiving father. For indeed, while we find a lot about the two sons, the principal message of the story is the degree to which the father loves both of his sons. And if we look closer than that, it's not just his great love, it's how he loves them. So, as I contemplated this familiar story and its characters, I did something I often do. I thought about songs, music. And I got some help from a few musical friends. I thought of three songs from favorite artists that reflected to me truths about the three main characters in this story. So let's go. You ready? First, the younger, or prodigal, son. Jesus goes out of his way to construct a young man who is totally given over to impulsive desires. The young son starts by asking his father to give him a share of his inheritance, verse 12. Tim Keller, in his book Prodigal God, notes that to ask this while the father still lived was the same as to wish him dead. But as insulting as this must have been to the father, he grants his son's request. In the patriarchal society that they are in, it is highly unlikely that the father would grant this request, but he does it. 
So Jesus is deliberately giving us a, a tale of extremes here. But then it goes further. The son, like seemingly quite quickly, loses everything. Verse 13. And it's almost like he got his father's money and went to Vegas and just put it on red. But then it comes up black. And he's like, uh-oh. So now Jesus throws this son into the opposite extreme. He puts the man into the mud with the pigs. And for a Hebrew listening, think about it. This is the lowest of the low. Feeding an unclean animal? The son even wants to feed himself with the pig slop that he's throwing at the pig's feet. And, so then, and then Jesus you know, kind of turns it up to 11 a bit here by saying, and no one gave him anything. So, one song came to mind. I uh, consulted my friends uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and they came back with one word. Anybody guess? Help! Well, more than one word. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone. I'm not so self-assured. I know that I just need you like I never done before. I don't think it was written from a father to a, a son to a father, but I think it works. Say what you will about this young man, his waist, he gets it. He realizes he is in totally over his head. And so he comes up with a plan. He'll be his father's servant. He rehearses his speech. I can kind of imagine him rehearsing it in the mud while he's throwing this slop at the pig's feet. And so he goes back, rehearsing his speech, tail between his legs, to his father. Now, his father sees him from, from far away. And again, Jesus adds a dramatic flourish. The father abandons all dignity and propriety and runs to him. The Greek word for compassion here, it's, it, it almost means like the heart, liver, lungs, and kidneys. It's that visceral. He feels so much love for his young son that it's almost like his guts feel it. He gives him his robe. He kisses him. He lavishes riches upon him. He tells his servants, go fill, kill the fattened calf. The father doesn't even let his son say much. He's too busy making party arrangements. John Calvin puts it like this. This father is not merely pacified by the entreaties of his son, but meets him while coming. And before he has heard a word, em embraces him, filthy and ugly as he is. God does not wait for a long prayer, but if his own free will meets the sinner as soon as he proposes to confess his fault. And as we just read in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord, Yahweh, is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This young man has had his spirit crushed, and the father runs to be near him and lift him up. All the while, what are the servants thinking? <laughs> this father's getting played, right? They might be thinking that. But actually, I think they might not be even enjoying that. They're just too busy eating the fattened calf that they just got. And it must be a really big celebration because somebody else can hear it. The older son can hear it out in the field where he's working. And a sort of sweet thing happens. While we are right to focus in on the self-righteousness of the older son... Look at the father. So far, we could say that the two sons are totally different. 
Though the father doesn't treat them exactly the same, the approach to them begins the same. Verse 28, what does the text say? His father came out and entreated him. The father makes the first move with both of them. He runs to his younger son. He thoughtfully walks out to his older son. But his older son is indignant. I never left. Why don't I get a special meal? I've followed every rule, done everything you asked, and I've gotten nothing. So I, Joel, am an older child, literally and metaphorically. Sometimes we get a little too concerned with our own righteousness and don't have the capacity to look past that to others. But the father looks past his righteousness and answers him with deep care. He explains to his older son how important it is for him to love his brother. The older son refers to him as this son of yours. The father refers to him as your brother. So, second song. This time I turn to you too. You've got to get yourself together. You're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. Bono wrote the lyrics to Stuck in a Moment in memory of a dear friend who had lost his life tragically. Decisions his friend had made led to his demise. Bono wrote to him that if he could have just gotten out of himself for a moment, he would be alive. The forgiving father is trying to snap his dear son out of this rut that he's in. But why is this part of the story? Why why not just make this about the dramatic first son? Because the religious leaders are in a rut. Jesus is trying to awaken the leaders to their own stubbornness. If we look at the beginning of chapter 15, we can see that the reason Jesus even tells this story is because the religious leaders were complaining about who he was accepting. Jesus counters with three stories. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. But embedded within this third story is actually two lost sons. And I think it's interesting how little we talk about Jesus' deep love for the scribes and Pharisees throughout his ministry. Jesus knows how this is going to end. He has set his face toward Jerusalem. He knows how he's going to die and who is going to kill him. But he continually invests time and teaching in the religious leaders. Why? Because he's a prodigal God. He loves them. He wants to snap them out of their stubbornness. Their stubbornness is is showing their lack of love, not only for God, but for their, their brethren. He wants them to see the eventual split it will cause with the Father. So Jesus says to them, in effect, you got to stand up straight. These tears are getting nowhere. It's more Bono. But now, to the Father. To truly see the quality of the Father's love, you need to see both sons in the story. With the younger son, the Father looks like a St. Bernard. He runs to greet the boy. He slobbers on him practically. He kisses him. Not so with the older son. With him, the father's approach reminds me of a phrase that Pastor Christian used last week. 
The father is displaying an attitude of compassionate correction. The wonder of God's fatherly love for us in Christ is how well he loves each of us. It's not just about quantity, though that's infinite, but quality. To prove my point, imagine if the father had reversed his approach with his sons. What if he had sternly talked to his younger son about the foolishness of his actions? What if he had waited on his porch, tapping his foot, and accepted the son's offer of servitude, and then lectured him? But the father knew that that was not what the younger son needed. By the same token, what if the father had left the party and run after his older son, kissing him and tearing the robe off his younger son to give it to the older son. No, it's actually kind of funny to think about, but the older son didn't need that. He needed compassionate correction. We don't really know much about either son's reaction because the focus is on how the father loves each of them. And that's how the story ends. So as I thought of this father's love for his sons, these lyrics came to mind. May God bless and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others and let others do for you. May you build a ladder to the stars and climb on every rung. And may you stay forever young. This is a song that Bob Dylan wrote to his young son. Why does it capture the father's love so well? Because it evokes all the dreams and hopes we have for our children when they're young. The years after that are full of seeing how they live out their vocations and their lives. And we see their successes and their failures. But is there anything like those first few moments? Well, the message of this parable is, yes, there is. The father in this story loves his wayward son to pieces. The emotions he felt when he first held his infant son are in, in his arms are on full display. He wraps him in a robe. He feeds him. He gives him shoes. He lavishes his son with the protection and provision that he would give a baby. But the father in this story also loves his older son to pieces. He gently but firmly corrects him. He calls attention to the big picture. My son, your brother has come home. Of course he is wayward, but him coming home is a big deal. Every calf I have, fattened or otherwise, is always yours. But we should celebrate your brother's return. The lyrics of Dylan's song are what I thought of. Because I can see this forgiving father singing it to both of his wayward sons. The hope we have when children are little springs from the deep love we have for them. Our father in heaven has infinite love. He's ready to run to you. So the message of this parable is simple. The father's love for all of us is generous. It is bountiful. But beyond that, I think there are two major types of people I want to address. Younger and older siblings. First, younger. To those of you who may think you are out of reach of God's love, this parable and Luke's whole gospel is for you. In Luke's gospel, the younger siblings of the world are offered forgiveness 
The demon-possessed, needy, and tax collectors are brought near. The pagans of Nineveh are held up as examples. And a condemned criminal on a cross is offered paradise. The Father invites you to a great feast. Taste and see that the Lord is good. My friend Tyler Holly and I were talking about this passage this week. He was reflecting on the fact that the feast that is offered to us is lavish and extravagant. It came at the cost of the Father's own Son, Jesus. Jesus is the fattened calf. And we dine at the great feast, at the table of our Father, all of us sinners. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians that Jesus, the faithful one who knew no sin, became sin for us, for you. Never, ever believe the lie that anything you have done or anything you are is beyond God's extravagant love for you. Second, to those of us here who are proud, if there's one thing so many of us seem to be sure of these, these, of these days, it's this. I am right. Whatever our morals, values, pol- politics, or way of life, so many of us seem so self-assured But folks, as the Beatles told us earlier, those days are gone. We're not so self-assured. We need help from our loving Father. Tim Keller again. If you think goodness and decency is the way to merit a good life from God, you will be eaten up with anger since life never goes as we wish. The message of this parable is for the proud too. The gospel of Luke and this parable has a message for us. Do we join our father with our brother at the feast? Or do we pout outside the party? Are we like Jonah, who shakes our fist at God when Nineveh is shown mercy? If we are honest with ourselves, we struggle with pride. Our forgiving father offers us gentle correction. Even the proudest older siblings among us. We had to celebrate. Your brother is found. We are never outside the reach of God's extravagant, compassionate correction. The Father comes to us. We bring him nothing. What amazing grace. What extravagant love. What a great story. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the extravagant love you give us. Thank you for the correcting love you give us and for the way that you oh so gently and firmly tell us where we need to go and shepherd us. Thank you for the good shepherd, Jesus, who gives himself for us. Thank you for your table that we can come to feast. In Jesus' name.